Hi, and welcome to the Social Angle Podcast. I'm Vinny, and on this episode, I'm flipping the script a little and talking shop from a different perspective, that of an end buyer. Joining me today is Glenn Clausen, a small business brewery owner in Orlando, Florida, to discuss the effect COVID's had on his business in 2020, his use of promo products and whether they've helped his bottom line during the pandemic, and how he uses social media to promote his brand. And yes, we even talk about beer. Want to know what the hottest promo item is at Glenn's Brewery and the social network that works best for him? It's all coming up right now. Glenn Clausen, welcome to the Social Angle Podcast. There you go. How's it going? It's going great. How are things down in Orlando? Good. Uh, the weather actually is cooling down, which is kind of nice. Um, our daily afternoon storms are slowing up, so you know things aren't things aren't too bad. Oh, nice. Yeah, things are cloudy. Things have been chilly up in the Northeast, and it's going to get colder next week too. So, I like the cold weather, so I'm okay with that. There so. You go. So we have a great topic today. We're going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about promotional products, and we're going to talk about beer, all from the perspective of a small business brewery, which is yours. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, and how you got started in the craft beer scene? Yeah, so uh, currently I own Ivanhoe Park Brewing Company down in Orlando, Florida. Uh, We've been open about two years now. Um, We had our soft opening in June of 2018 and our kind of grand opening in October of 2018. So in a few pretty big anniversary party. Um, Try to keep it as virtual as possible to keep people safe and spread it out over a whole week so we don't have a huge crowd on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I got into craft beer back in 2010. I started home brewing. Uh, me and my buddy just home brewed practically every day. Um, it was pretty, pretty intense and pretty obsessive, but I mean that obsessive hobby became uh, into something that was a business. So I opened my first brewery in Huntington Beach, California. Um, operated that one for about three years and sold majority. And then in 2016, moved out to Orlando and started this one up. Nice. So you're a California guy. Yep. Yep. Born and raised. Nice. Nice. You like living in Florida? It's good. The community's a little different, a lot better than, you know, California. I feel like you don't really know your neighbors and everybody's on top of each other and you still don't know them. Whereas Orlando has more of like, you know, they have a main street program that, you know, allows business owners to kind of collaborate and work together and, you know, have a bunch of fun events that, you know, bring the community together. So I, I kind of like that aspect of it. Oh, nice. Um, all right. So let's talk about COVID and how it's affected your business. Are you currently back at full capacity or no? No. So state mandate still requires 50% capacity indoors, uh, the six foot spacing between tables, and then obviously mask coverings and, uh, you know, most of the CDC recommendations. Uh, so indoors 50% outdoors we are allowed to have 100% capacity so we do have an outdoor patio that allows us to have you know some some majority of people coming out and we do have a decent sized parking lot that we have spill over you know if it does get to a capacity point right and you have the benefit of living in a state that you know doesn't get really really cold so you can have that out, outdoor activity yeah it's more so the heat uh, people enjoy some days so it's tough to get people outside when the heat's beating down but uh we're getting into the winter months if that's a thing down here i don't know if we use that term winter but um it definitely gets below 100 at least that's that's always good right exactly (laughs) so how long were you guys shut down for Uh, man 
It was a few cycles. So luckily, like we were able to pivot. Uh, I think that's the key term of the year is pivot. Um, we ended up getting our food license. So during the first shutdown, you know, restaurants and bars were shut down for on premise. So we were allowed to do to go beers. Um, but then June 26th, they shut down bars and breweries uh, specifically. And luckily within a week or two, we were able to get our food license that allowed us to reopen as a food establishment. Um, so overall, I mean, I would say us total about four weeks. Um, but I mean, there was a point in uh, end of July where they did a statistic and it was actually breweries had been shut down more days than they were allowed to be open in 2020. Um, just because there was that state mandate and a lot of them didn't have the resources to get the food license like we did. So um, about two weeks ago now, uh, Monday, they finally allowed bars and breweries to open without the food permit. So slowly but surely getting back to somewhat of a normal. What the new normal, right? Exactly. <laughs> whatever, whatever that might be. Now you mentioned pivot, you know, it's like one of the buzzwords of the year. Um, but yeah, uh, so you, do you also do curbside um, now that you know you've you've transitioned to getting um, a food license and you're doing food now? So you're doing curbside as well, right? Correct. Yeah, we ended up changing our POS system that was a little more uh, curbside friendly and online ordering uh, really helped out. So it's arrived. Uh, it's a POS that's specifically built for breweries. So it's been a huge help on our aspect of. Um, being able to get new products online, kind of tracking inventory so that, you know, people aren't ordering something we don't necessarily have and uh, just keeping up with all of that. So it's definitely been a, a nice program to work with and allowed us to, you know, people that don't quite feel safe yet to come out uh, can still, you know, purchase our product and get it to go. Have you seen a lot of um, interest in curbside? We have, I would say, I mean, definitely when we closed down and there was no on-premise, I mean, 100% of our business was curbside or at least picking up to-go beers. Um, but more recently, I would say, you know, 15 to 20%, depending on the week. Um, we have a lot of regulars and, you know, they're honest with us that, you know, they want to come support us and they would love to sit at the bar with us. But, you know, they have, uh, you know, friends or family that they're concerned for that they don't want to, you know, cause an issue or, you know, spread the virus. So understandably they're they're happy that we do have the curbside but they're definitely you know wanting to come back out and enjoy hanging out at the bar again yeah and that's one of the things i miss most about my local uh establishments that you know my wife and i are are big beer people we we visit the local ones all the time um you know we're concerned about the uh the pandemic you know we don't pennsylvania where i live um now allows for you know indoor eating we're not we're not there yet we're not you know, personally, we feel like, you know, we can still help out the local establishments by doing curbside. And we do that, you know, at least two, three times a week, you know, we're, we're buying beer um, curbside, we're buying food curbside. So, you know, we're, we're trying to help local, but at the same time, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to, to stay safe. So, you know, I, I totally feel for you guys. I understand, you know, from both perspective, the business owner and also from, you know, the consumer. Yeah. So let's um, talk a little bit about promotional products. Now you have, um, you know, you offer merchandise on your, um, on your website, uh, ran ranging from branded growlers and tees to face masks and beach towels. Can you let us know what, um, you know, what's the most popular promo item uh, for your brewery? Definitely hats. Uh, people love wearing hats down here. It's hard to keep those in stock. We have a few different styles of hats. So 
I think it kind of gives a, a good majority. And I mean, it's one size fits all. I think the toughest thing we find with uh, t-shirts is that, you know, it's varying sizes. So you're always either running out of one or having too much of another um, and just trying to find that balance of, you know, getting that mix and match so that you have available what, what is in inventory. Um, beach towels, I mean, they've been a great concept. We, we mainly got into beach towels and branded flip-flops recently just because we did roll out to the market uh, Daytona Beach, New Smyrna Beach. So we did a lot of events out there that required uh, giving out promo and swag that was pretty specific to that. And then, um, so those don't, they don't necessarily sell that well in-house, but they have given us a good kind of market when we do like a rollout at a resort that has a pool. Um, like recently the Grove Resort uh, over near the parks, they put on a pineapple blonde beer for us. So we did a big rollout with that and brought a bunch of uh, towels and, you know, flip-flops for the guests and they kind of had fun doing it with a big kind of promo on their social media with all that aspect on it. That's cool. So you said hats were a big seller for you, huh? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's just Florida or what it is, but you know, it's an easy design. You throw a logo on it and you know, people want to wear it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, hats are, are, you know, are big in our industry and, and they provide a big return on investment. You know, people wear hats. I, when I get a hat, I wear it, you know, and I'll wear it a lot. Um, you know, and a lot of people see that logo. So, you know, there's a, you know, there's an impact on that. And then you know, I'm glad to see the hats are good. And I'm not shocked, you know, Florida, if I lived in Florida, I'd be wearing a hat all the time. I'm like, you know, this fair skinned, you know, Irish Italian dude from the Northeast, I would be slathered in sunscreen and wearing a hat all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, with the COVID hair too, a lot of people aren't getting haircuts just quite yet. So yeah, you could tell I haven't, <laughs> had a haircut in 2020 so my wife keeps pushing me hey you know you got to get a haircut you got to get it trimmed at least and i'm like hmm I'm like let's see where this goes exactly. you know why not <laughs> um, going. yeah so um has the merch been you know has it provided you some you know uh, a boon to your business i'm not gonna say boon because nobody's getting uh you know that big a boost from merchandise but has has it helped you uh, in any way as far as like you know paying some expenses and taking care of some of the little things? I think so. The community definitely wants to keep supporting. And I mean, a lot of them have, you know, their fridges are full to the brim of beer. So it's hard for them to, you know, keep purchasing beer and drinking it. They're not drinking it as fast as they're buying it to support. Sure. It gives another outlet of revenue for sure. Um, I think we did a, a big, uh, event called Camp Ivanhoe. Uh, it was for our soft opening anniversary in June. And we did a week long event where, you know, we, kind of did a summer camp theme. So we sold like tie-dye kits with white branded shirts. So it's kind of cool seeing those come back because uh, people are doing the tie-dye kit and then wearing them into the brewery and each one's completely unique because I mean, it started as a white shirt and then there's like various ways to tie-dye. So those came out pretty cool. Um, we did like glow in the dark Frisbees and uh, we did s'more kits. So, I mean, it's just an added value. The beer is good and fun and you know, it works, but I mean, giving people something to do at home with you know the family and you know interact and you know kind of burn time I guess at this point uh, has been helpful and also you know being synergistic with the sales of the brewery as well. Definitely I, you know I mean I'm reading stories you know a lot of small businesses have turned to to merch to help them get through you know this pandemic of course merch is not going to help you know you get to where you expected to be in 2020, but it's certainly helping a, a lot of small businesses. And it's nice to know that it's there as, you know, you know, a life support if you need it. Um, 
So talking about, you know, your merch game, do you work with a distributor or a consultative partner for your promo products? So most of our branded assets, uh, we work with 60 Agency. So they've been with us from the beginning. They kind of helped us build the concept of Ivanhoe Park, uh, bringing back the history of Ivanhoe Park being, you know, Central Florida's first amusement parking before Disney was, you know, a thought. Um, so they helped us kind of do research on that. Um, they branded our core beers, uh, so the can label design. And then we just kind of utilize a lot of those assets when we build out from there. We have a, a local uh, company, Impress Inc., that does a lot of our printing. So they do all our embroidery, all our silk screen, things like that. So they, they have a Dropbox file that they can kind of sift through brands. And, you know, when we built the um, flip-flops, they just kind of took, we have two logos. They have a shield logo and a coin logo. And they took those and kind of alternated it like you would see on a step and repeat almost. And then um, they, on the bottom, it has like a divot in it where when you step in the sand, it kind of leaves the imprint of Ivanhoe Park Brewing Company. And they were able to use, utilize fonts that we, you know, maintain in our brand portfolio so that it, it always has that same, you know, inside the box recognition. So those came out pretty cool. Def, I, I love that idea for the, um for the footprints. I mean, that's, that's really yeah. cool. It's like you see them in the sand, you're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And speaking of, you know, your, your brand, I, I really like your, your guys' logo. Like who designed that logo? That was 60 Agency. So oh, okay. when we originally sat down, I mean, we knew the story we wanted to tell. And then, you know, it's like with any branding company, they kind of sit you down and there's like 50 concepts and then easily, you know, bring it down each time and, you know, kind of give them a direction. But I mean, they're way better at all of that design work than I'll ever be. So uh, it's nice being able to just kind of say what you want and then them having that thought process of like, okay, these are the next steps. And then, you know, here's your final three. And then from there, you know, it just was pretty simple to kind of really hone in. And uh, that's why we came up with the coin logo to kind of have simplicity and then the shield logo to spell it out. Like I'm a Park Brewing Company on there. Right. So let's talk about your social media game. You guys have a pretty good social media game. I mean, it, you know, for a small business, you know, you do a lot. Um, so, you know, who, who runs the show there? Do you, are, do you employ social media people or is it, you know, by committee? So, yeah, it's pretty much me. I'm a one-man band on the social media side. Um, I've had tapper managers kind of take it over. Um, but overall, you know, I'm, iPhones are so technologically advanced. I mean, portrait mode just makes it look like a professional photo. So I'll come in and, you know, whatever beer we're releasing or whatever new product we have coming out, um, just take a quick picture. Um, I'm not all into the hashtag game, but I think, you know, just being super responsive. I'm always, unfortunately, on my phone. So uh, it's pretty quick and easy to see when someone, you know, replies to a comment, they like that interaction or when they post to a story or share something, you know, just reaching out and showing your appreciation for their local support uh, goes a long way. And I think grassroots just grows on its own. I know Instagram, we have, you know, over 13,000 followers just on that one platform. And, you know, looking at the central Florida area, I think there's only like two or three breweries that are ahead of us. And I mean, those guys have been around six to 12 years. So for us to be that far, you know, into the grassroots of it in just the two year portion that we have has been, you know, great to see just because I think it is that interaction that people enjoy. So how do you, what do you attribute all those followers to? Do you think it's just sort of like 
uh, word of mouth, grassroots? Have you done any campaigns or, you know, I, I'm curious, what, how did you get that many? Um, I don't know. I think it's just posting consistently, um, giving content that people want to see. It's just, you know, they want information. So I get it. You're scrolling through Instagram and if it's a cool picture, you'll stop and read. But for the most part, it's just kind of, you know, allowing our brewers to be innovative on the brewing side. So when they come up with some, you know, fun new beer that has some cool kind of flavors to it, we can take a picture with, you know, those specific flavors. So it's not only, you know, trying to explain it in words, but give a photo to it so that they understand like, oh, this beer has, you know, coffee in it or, you know, blueberries or whatever kind of beer they're going with that time. But I think it's just having that. And I think overall having, you know, a location that has some decent foot traffic to it. So um, we do events here that people come to and they're like, well, I've never been here before. And then they'll go on and follow or a friend will tell them about it. You know, it's just kind of coming across it that way. Yeah, you know, um, I follow a lot of breweries and I think breweries are um, uh, perfect for social media. I, I, I just, I've always felt that way. I, you know, I love looking at beer. If you were friends with me on Instagram, you would see, see that I post nothing but beers. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's very popular among the craft beer scene, even the, the non-craft beer scene. People love to follow breweries. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see that you guys have that many followers and you haven't even, you haven't paid for them. You just have that from word of mouth. And that's awesome. Um, so let's talk about your merch game with your social media. Um, you've integrated merch giveaways into your social media posts. In fact, I have a pair of socks nice. <laughs> that I won from you guys last year. That's how I, I caught wind of you guys on Twitter. You did a giveaway um, and I won. And you, you sent me those socks like I, the next week and by the end of that week, I was wearing them, and I w and they're they're like my one of my favorite winter socks. They're thick, um, and I love them. So, how much do you you know do you integrate merchandise with your social media? So, I try not to do too many of those, but I mean they have been helpful as far as like sharing. We did recently do a pretty big one because it is our second anniversary coming up. So, um, we do have these branded like vintage Coleman coolers that we're putting out there for a giveaway. And this one's through Instagram where, you know, if you tag us in a story, you get so many entries and then just tag a friend. Um, they're, they're very complicated to track. Like right now I have a notepad going that uh, kind of shows who shared it. So I have to like keep tracking those in notepad, uh, letting them know like, hey, you got your five entries, but then I have to go and make sure I mindfully like track it there. And I mean, it's gonna be a nightmare. We have over 500 comments on there. So I'm gonna have to figure out how to get that in Excel. Um, I think it's just the organization of it because I don't want people to feel like, ah, oh, it's just another giveaway. This guy's going to just, you know, pick someone random the last day when he's like, oh, I forgot I even was doing this. So I definitely want to, you know, show that we are putting the effort into it so that it kind of gives that value, you know. Um, I think these coolers are super cool. I mean, they cost us $250 to make. So this is a pretty, pretty nice giveaway that's going to um, hopefully attract, you know, more customers because, Behind it is we just released our boxcar variety packs, which are 12 packs that um, we were able to get into like Fresh Market, ABC, Total Wine, a lot of good, like big, you know, retailers that put it out there. And I mean, it's 19.99, so the price point is exactly equal at a, you know, what any macro brewery variety pack is going to be. So I think having that price point, having the giveaway, you know, hopefully it's just going to drive sales because I mean, the boxcar, you know, our design work came out really nice on that. 
Um, again, it was 60 agency that put that together for us, but it's just one of those things that we started during COVID when we saw, you know, off-premise was a big market all of a sudden when, you know, bars and restaurants aren't open, we can't sell beer to them. So, you know, really kind of going towards those ABCs, Total Wines, uh, Regency Wine and Spirits, they've all been a huge support. So giving them another product that they can sell, um, you know, has just been pretty beneficial. You got one of those coolers for me? Uh, we'll see. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> tag and share, man. <laughs> it's funny. You bring up a, a a good point what small business people are dealing with in terms of you know they're wearing many hats um you know you're brewing you know you're you're doing a lot of marketing um and you have to keep track of these these giveaways that you're doing because you don't have a social media team and i think that's that's where the challenge comes in people are starting to realize you know social media is very powerful um we want to do it but you want to do it well you want to do it right and you know it's a challenge for small business people especially now during this pandemic when you know, people have had layoffs and, you know, you don't have the manpower that you once did and your finances, you know, are going to be in the tank in 2020, like, like everyone else's. So it's a challenge. I, you know, I feel for you. Yeah. So it is very, I mean, we have a great team, like my brew staff, I don't have to worry about what they're doing back there. They're keeping up with their deadlines. Um, every tank is full and we're actually to the point where we're looking at you know, new facility space just because we're at max capacity here and, you know, things are going so well that we're eventually going to have to grow into a new space. Um, so it's all kind of good things as that goes. And, you know, it is tiring and long hours, but I think, you know, all my staff kind of keep a positive attitude and that makes me want to keep going. So everybody kind of pulls their weight and I think that's best for the, the whole team. Definitely. I got to get on Instagram and uh, get involved in that giveaway. There you go. <laughs> So you mentioned Instagram. I'm assuming that is your that is your network that you have the most success with. Yeah, I think it's definitely been the most proactive. Um, Facebook. I mean, we have a good amount of followers. It's just I kind of to take the shortcut. I just do the pass through where you post on Instagram and then it posts to Facebook for me. So um, that kind of shortcut helps. I don't see it as interactive over there. You know, we don't get as many. Um, notifications as far as like likes and comments so i think instagram's definitely been a better outlet for you know promoting what we had like i said we get creative with the photos to kind of give them a visual of what the beer is going to look like um and i mean i the algorithms that they put out there are beyond me so i just try to keep up with it and you know provide content and you know see where it goes from there yeah facebook is um you know i think facebook is is evolving into something that's you know, it was, you know, it used to be, you know, post pictures and stuff like that. And, you know, it's saturated with, you know, friends posts and ads and all that. And I think Instagram is where people are going more and more to enjoy social media and, you know, Facebook's become, you know, toxic as has Twitter. Um, but Instagram, you know, you know, I've been doing this show for a while and, and people, small businesses um, in our industry all talk about, how much they love Instagram. Instagram seems to be, you know, the best network for the return that they're looking for. Yeah, I think, uh, like, we, we haven't spent any money on it per se, but I think our target market is definitely more so spending more time on there. So it works out. So I have a question. Uh, your business wants brewed up uh, pink beer for a great cause. It was for breast cancer awareness. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that endeavor and, you know, What's your commitment to cause marketing? And also, did you offer merchandise with that, uh, with that batch of pink beer? 
Yeah, so that was, I think, two years ago uh, because we actually worked with the local Making Strides of Orlando uh, campaign. And it's one of the largest walks that they have in Orlando. I think it's second largest right behind, like we have a corporate 5K that just gets slammed out here, but um, they're making strides walk for the purpose of, you know, the philanthropy behind it uh, definitely is the largest in Orlando. Um, so I worked closely with their committee on that. Uh, we did create the pink beer and did do a portion of proceeds went back to the, uh, to their, their cause. And um, luckily, yeah, they offer, uh, they're branded like pink shirts online and you can actually go on there and put any logo you want. And so we kind of utilized their outlet for that where we just uploaded our logo and then that allowed us to share a link and people could buy direct from them, which was great because they provided free shipping and, you know, they would do one at a time, which I know isn't the best economical way to do it. But at the same time, uh, it's just a nice outlet that they allowed for us to not have to worry about it, but we could still kind of brand it that way. Nice. How was the beer? It was really good. We actually still keep it around. It's now a year round beer. It's uh, called Guavacation and it's like a sour Berliner Weiss that uh, has guava and raspberry to it. Nice. And what gave it the pink color? Uh, the guava and raspberry that we add to it. So during fermentation, they add uh, a good amount of uh, guava and raspberry, I think 40 pounds of each or something pretty mm -hmm. crazy. Um, but it just allows that pink hue that we were looking for. All right. So without further ado, we're going to talk a little bit about beer because, you know, I'm a beer guy. You're obviously a beer guy. Um, and you know what? You sent me some beer. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to put on, that's right. Actually, this is what I do when I, when I ride my bike. I put your sunglasses over my regular glasses because I don't like to wear contacts and nobody <laughs> can tell. So look, I got the branding. You sent me, you sent me these glasses. You also sent me some beer. I'm a, I'm a stout and porter guy, so I'm going to crack open this one. So tell me a little bit about your uh, gotcha moment in your life. First, I'm going to have a sip of this beer. This is the Tupac Shaporter. Nice. Compliments of Glenn. I'm going to have a sip here. <laughs> mm. That's good. It traveled well from Florida to, uh, to Pennsylvania. There you go. <laughs> I hope it didn't get too hot. I, I have a couple other beers in there, so let me take another sip. Yeah, you got to get the full get the full experience. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So tell me about your gotcha moment um, in your life that you wanted to be, you know, in beer for uh, for your livelihood. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, it's crazy because I look back and you know, 2008 to 2009 was when I first you know started even drinking craft beer. Um, I was actually living in Rome, Italy, which is super random, and some of my friends that were out there were saying, Hey, there's this event where you get one ticket and then you get a drink unlimited all day. And I was like, yes, let's do this. And turned out it was like an Italian craft beer festival. And like, I hadn't heard of craft beer. I mean, I knew a stone IPA just cause it was kind of from Southern California blasted around there. Uh, they did well with their marketing, but I never really, you know, my mindset wasn't like, oh, wow, there's like people that do this on a small scale, you know, you just figure Bud Light makes everything. Um, so I ended up going to that and, you know, meeting these people that owned and brewed and, you know, it just was amazing. Like, it was so interesting to meet these people that were doing this. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, you know, drinking all free all day was, was great. Um, but that was my first experience of craft beer. Uh, so after that, you know, there was craft beer bars in Italy that we would try to hit. And, you know, I really started doing a lot of research into it. 
Um, so when I moved back to California in 2011, uh, that's when me and my buddy got together and found a learn how to homebrew course. And so ended up taking that and um, it was only three days, like three Wednesdays in a row. And the guy that was teaching it was actually Matt Johnson, who is uh, the head brewer of Carl Strauss, which is a pretty well-known brewery in San Diego. He, I figured it would be some guy that, you know, just has been home brewing for years, but this, you know, very reputable head brewer was taking time out of his life to, you know, try to spread the word and educate. And so he saw me and my buddy had a passion and we really kind of communicated after and I ended up hiring him as a consultant to help me open my first brewery in California. Um, so, I mean, at the time, you know, it sounded like a great idea, but it's very capital intensive. Uh, you know, you raise enough money for one thing, but the rule of thumb is, you know, set a number and then multiply that by five and that's about what you need. <laughs> right. So about 15 years ago, I did the same thing you did and I started brewing my own uh, beer at home. And it's funny, my very first batch came out amazing. And I thought, this isn't hard at all. And yeah. subsequent batches came out just awful, you know, and then, you know, I gave up on, I, I think I brewed about five or six batches. Um, but I realized how difficult it was. I mean, I was doing ales, which are easy. You, you don't need refrigeration, you know, lagers, you know, I always wanted to brew a lager, but I'm like reading into it and I'm like, Oh my God, you need like refrigeration. And, um, so how were your first, how was your first batch? Did it come out good? So yeah, we did. Uh, we had a local homebrew shop that did like cloning kits. And the first batch we did was a uh, nitwit from BJ's uh, Pizza and Brew House. And it came out really good. It's a Hefeweizen. It had that perfect banana and clove taste to it. And, you know, mindset is you. We were like, wow, this is way easier than we were expecting. And, you know, we followed it to a T. And usually the first step of homebrewing is to crack a beer. But our first homebrew day, we were like, no, we want to be on our game. We want to be concentrating like we were to a T temperature wise, time wise. And it went really perfectly. Um, the second through like 10th batch. Yeah, just tasted like bad Pepsi or I don't even know like what else. Like some of them just it was tough. Like you don't want to dump beer. So you end up like struggling while drinking five gallons of horribly tasting beer. <laughs> but I think it was the fact that the second one, we felt so confident after our first batch of beer that we were like, all right, let's crack a beer. And then, you know, you have one beer, two beers, because you're kind of, it's research in the end. But, you know, when you're six beers deep and you're trying to pour, you know, hot wort through your heat exchanger into your carboy <laughs> while splashing it around everywhere and like barely pitching the yeast right, I'm sure, I'm sure that had a factor into it. So I think it was like the 10th batch were like, all right, let's do this the right way again. Let's make sure we clean and sanitize properly. And, you know, eventually we got a little bit better and uh, we moved on from those clone kits with the extract into actually doing all grain batches. And, you know, it was fun, you know, messing with different things in different stages, temperatures and times and boils and, you know, seeing the difference in it. And just as we were going, the, the beer industry was growing as well. So not only were we learning from our own mistakes, but we would go to breweries and talk to brewers there and be like, hey, what did you see? And I think our greatest resource was being able to access White Labs down in San Diego, because I mean, they were really growing at the time. And it's cool because they have a tap room that actually uses the same base wort, but just pitches a different yeast. 
and has a different tap line for each yeast. So you can tell the difference in what like the flavor profile and how much, you know, the yeast is like the biggest part almost of, of a brewing a beer. I mean, obviously color, flavor a little bit, but the yeast is just such an overpowering portion of it that, you know, you really have to hone in on how to utilize those properly. Yeah, you have to be very detail oriented. I mean, I learned while, you know, brewing that there's so much that can go wrong, um, you know, and you have to, and the cleaning and the sanitizing is, is so important and crucial. And then the bottling and, you know, th there's a lot that goes into it, you know, and it's fun to do as a side project, um, but to do it, you know, as a profession, I mean, it's like, you've got to be on every detail. It's got to be a detail oriented job. So kudos to you for doing that. I don't know if I could ever do that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk styles. What's your favorite style? You know, my favorite style. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I lean towards IPAs. I do enjoy them. Um, I haven't quite picked up the hazy IPA, New England IPA style. I mean, I have an appreciation for them, but, um, a lot of them, you know, after a few of them, they all kind of blend together to me. Um, so I do enjoy just a basic American style, maybe a West Coast style IPA, um, you know, fully filtered so that it's not has a hazy style, but I enjoy more so the dry hopping portion of it. I do enjoy some bitterness aspect from it, but just having that nice aromatic and flavor to it um, and not too much of that lingering, you know, hop bite at the end. Yeah, I mean, I live in the Northeast, so um, for the last four years, three, four years, we've been inundated with, with the hazy New England style IPA. And, you know, I, I like IPAs, um, you know, some of the ones that are in the Northeast, like Trillium and, um, you know, the, the Massachusetts ones, they do really good hazy IPAs. And I've had them and it's like, it's like grapefruit juice. I mean, it's like so thick and, and it, I appreciate those but also like the West Coast styles. I, I love the, you know, like you said, the filtered, the clear ones, very clean, crisp, you know, I appreciate the IPAs as well. But for me, like Stouts and Porters are, are that's my go-to. Even in the summer, you know, I'll be out on the deck, 95 degrees, drinking, you know, motor oil. My, my wife's like, what are you drinking this for? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's only 6%. You know, it, it looks yeah. like a winter beer, but you know, it's it's refreshing to me, you know. Yeah. So what do you like, what do you like to brew as far as styles? Like what, what styles are right up your alley? Same things? Uh, I mean, honestly, I haven't brewed in a while. Um, I'm definitely more on the sales distribution, tap room operation side of it. Um, when I did brew more often, I mean, I would say, yeah, I enjoyed brewing IPAs because I mean, there's so many hop varieties out there. It's fun when you can get your hands on some experimental hops that, you know, the hop farms aren't necessarily naming just yet because they haven't really, you know, made it into the market. Um, so just kind of seeing, you know, like I said, messing with boil times, uh, when the hop additions ha happen, dry hopping. Um, I think there's just so much you can really mess with on an IPA. Um, that I think it kind of gives it a little bit of fun. You know, you see these single hop series that breweries do, and that's the education portion that we all enjoy, you know, giving to the consumers so they can pick up the same exact beer, but with just say different single hops and be like, oh, I really get this. You know, I can get the citrus of it, or I get the earthiness of this one. And it gives them that appreciation. Like I said, the yeast is cool to see how much of a function that has, but on the other aspect, hops have such a huge function in beer that it's, it's cool to see that, you know, people can really, get the nose and the flavor profile from, you know, Cascade or Citra, Mosaic, whatever single hop that it's going for. But 
just kind of gives them that education factor of it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for experimentation in that style of beer. And I think that's what makes it so sexy, so to speak. You know, you can come up with so many different um, recipes and the excitement to me is like, you know, oh, what's it going to taste like, you know, you know when, it, when it actually is ready to drink. Um, and I know, I know some homebrewers who are like, they're like that, you know, they're like, you know, I've got a new recipe going and I, you know, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this and, you know, see how it comes out. Um, you know, and I'm fascinated because there are so many different beers um, that are evolving. I don't know if you've heard of the milkshake beers. It's very popular in the Northeast, lactose infused. You got, you know, all kinds of fruits, vanilla, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's amazing what they're doing with beer, um, you know, and there's just so much experimentation going on. Um, so that's pretty cool. So I, I bent your ear long enough. I'm going to ask you two more questions. What's your favorite I, uh, Ivanhoe Park Brewing beer and what's your favorite non-Ivanhoe Park Brewing beer? So definitely our favorite, Joyland IPA. I mean, it's an American IPA, very straightforward. Um, it's funny coming from California and not having access to Hialeah back in the day. Um, that was my mecca beer was Hialeah. Like, you know, going to beer conferences, they would ship it in and you know, I'd go crazy. My head brewer at my last brewery made fun of me, like how beer geeked out I got when I saw Hialeah. Um, so when I moved to Florida, the Mecca of Hialeah, you know, I see it on 7-Eleven shelves and I'm like, you guys have no idea how good you have beer, just because that's such a good, well done IPA. Um, but moving out here, you know, our head brewer has really honed in on this Joyland IPA recipe and, you know, Hialeah kind of grew on me, but it almost has a harsh high pop bite towards the end that, you know, some people love, but it, it, it after like two or three of them, you're like, all right, it's kind of rough. Um, but Joyland, I mean, you could have two or three and it's just so smooth, but it has that nice, you know, aromatic and flavor, you know, hop profile that we're looking for. So definitely Joyland from us. Um, overall, I would have to say Lost Abbey Deliverance Sale is probably my top beer. Um, I haven't had it in a while because it's tough to get, but I just know that, you know, probably in 2013 was the first time I had it. And anytime I ever see Deliverance Sale, even if it's like, 40 bucks for that tiny bottle. I usually pick it up just because it's so well done. Tommy Arthur, you know, has been with Lost Abbey from the beginning. So he's been doing some great stuff as far as barrel aging, souring, and all the cool stuff they do on that aspect of it. Um, but that one, just the flavor. I mean, the raisins and, you know, I wish I could explain it better because it's been so long. But I know that when I do see it, I was out in California Memorial Weekend and they didn't have any. So I was kind of bummed I missed out on it. But if I ever see it, that's the one I always know, like mentally, that I'm going to grab a grab a bottle of it at least. Nice. Um, well, I'm a bourbon guy, and I'll tell you, I mean, I love Goose Island's bourbon barrel aged outs that they release every year. Um, you know, even though Goose Island sold out, you know, to, to InBev, you know, it's like, look, what are you going to do? I still think they they produce a, a fantastic beer, um, and I get it every year. Um, so bourbon barrel age, Goose Island is, is, that's, that's my sweet spot. So. Nice. Yep. It's a good one. Yep. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're busy, you know, small business owner wearing many hats, you know, but I'm glad that you took the time out with us, uh, to talk today. Um, you have any final thoughts, any parting words you want to, you know, promote your, uh, business? <laughs> no, just thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally worked it out. I know we both have hectic schedules right now, but, uh, you know, we're excited two years uh, anniversary coming up. So we have a whole week long of events. 
Uh, we're doing a pretty cool triple IPA uh, called Return to Joyland. And it's gonna be almost an interesting concept where we're canning it really early in the morning on a Friday and our distributors coming in to pick it up that day and dropping it at our retail locations. Uh, so it'll be the first time in Florida anybody's ever done a same day canning release to their retailer because retail lost tough out here and distributors take two to three days to pick it up, take it to the warehouse, store it, pick it up, take it out to the market. So we're excited that they're, they're willing to try this with us and we hope it's successful. Well, I wish I could be down there with you, but, you know, obviously things being as they are, you know, hopefully next year we do. And I think I told you we do the uh, ASI show Orlando every year. Um, so, you know, I, I, I attend those every year and ours is, I think, in April next year. So if I'm in Orlando next year in April, I'm coming down to visit you. There you go. Definitely hit me up. All right, Glenn. Thank you so much for your time. For Glenn, yeah. I'm Vinny. We'll see you next time on The Social Angle.